think the construction industry would be a great driver of innovation and early adopter of the technology. It is early, but we're, we're very close. Hi, I'm Prab Banga. And I'm Adam Borgatti. Welcome to the Road to Net Zero. Acon's sustainability podcast. Welcome everyone. In this episode, we discuss the growing role of hydrogen across Canada in different sectors. So Canada is one of the largest hydrogen producers in the world, and Canadian firms have developed the technologies to produce hydrogen cleanly and economically using fossil fuels, methanol, biomass, renewable energy sources such as solar, wind, hydroelectric, or from industrial byproduct waste through hydrogen capture. In the science world, hydrogen might be a small molecule, a very small one, but there is big aspiration for it as a solution to a cleaner, greener energy future, especially in the transportation and construction sectors. In our industry specifically, in construction, we are heavily dependent on diesel to power our equipment. But as we work towards our emission reduction goal, we continue to look for alternatives such as hydrogen as a way to reduce emissions. Hydrogen is showing promising results to be used as a reliable power source for construction sites. And I was actually at Con Expo last week where there was a lot of different equipment that was using hydrogen-powered batteries. Now, for all you movie buffs out there like me, the Mr. Fusion, if you'll recall, home energy generator that fueled Doc Brown's legendary DeLorean time machine in Back to the Future Part 2 worked by extracting hydrogen atoms from garbage. Marty! You've got to come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Wait a minute, what are you doing, Doc? I need fuel. Go ahead, quick, get in the car. No, 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 look, Doc, I just got here, okay? Jennifer's here, we're gonna take the new truck for a spin. Well, bring her along. This concerns her, too. So while we're not there yet with our construction equipment, despite what Prab may have seen with the latest tech at her Con Expo last week, to talk to us about the applications of hydrogen in the construction industry, we have Bob Oliver. Bob is an accomplished advocate for low carbon energy systems recognized in Canada and the US for advancing policies that promote the development and adoption of advanced and sustainable vehicle technologies. Currently, Bob focuses on the development of hydrogen systems as a pathway to fulfill greenhouse gas emissions reductions goals. He's a founding member of H2GO Canada and is a partner at Change Energy Services. Bob has served on numerous committees and advisory groups, including Ontario's Hydrogen Strategy Working Group, the Ontario Energy Board's Chair Advisory Roundtable, the National Advisory Committee on Energy Efficiency, and Metrolinx's New Mobility Thought Leader Panel. It's been great working with Bob on the H2GO panel, which ACON is also a part of. Um, so thank you for joining us today, Bob. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start with defining hydrogen. We've heard of green, blue, and gray hydrogen. I hope have, I have all the colors there. What is what is hydrogen? What are these different types of hydrogen in terms of the blue, green, and gray? It's a bit of a confusing issue, and there's actually many, many more colors uh, entering this uh, this system every day. So I guess it would I, I would like to answer the question by posing the question: um, Why do we bother distinguishing hydrogen according to these uh, informal color coding system? Um, I mean, hydrogen is hydrogen after all, right? Uh, well, it, it is, except that there are many, many different ways to make hydrogen. Uh, in fact, this is one of the appeals of hydrogen. Um, anything with hydrogen atoms and hydrogen molecules in it 
uh, just as we know with Doc Brown's Mr. Fusion device, um, anything with hydrogen in it is a potential source. You just need to add the right amount of energy to separate the hydrogen out and extract it from the source feedstock. So depending on the material and the energy that is the feedstock for the hydrogen production, uh, it could have very different environmental characteristics. Uh, indeed, we often say that the attributes of a given supply of hydrogen are the attributes of its supply chain. And that's because the use of hydrogen, whether as a combustible fuel or in a fuel cell, uh, it generates no pollution. So all of its environmental impacts are a feature of upstream processes happening before uh, it's actually put to work as a fuel. Now, the color coding system for hydrogen is completely informal. It's not standardized by any authoritative body, um, and, and it's also uh, vaguely defined. Uh, it's actually a source of frustration for many hydrogen sector stakeholders and experts because it oversimplifies and misleads the public into thinking that there are inherently good and bad types of hydrogen, which is not really the case. Uh, but nonetheless, it emerges to address a need in the market to distinguish hydrogen according to feedstock. Now, as you mentioned, there are many colors used in the system. Uh, the ones you mentioned, uh, green, gray, and blue, are certainly the most common in general discussion. And green hydrogen refers to the use of renewable power. So that could be electricity from solar panels, from wind turbines, or from run-of-the-river hydroelectric dams, any kind of renewable, low-impact, low-emission source of hydrogen, green electricity in other words, uh, I shouldn't say source of hydrogen, but source of electricity, uh, which we would often call green electricity. If we use that um, to power electrolysis, which is a process where we apply electrical voltage to water to separate the H2O comprising the water molecule into hydrogen and oxygen, and then we keep the hydrogen, and we can also use the oxygen, but that hydrogen, because it's been made from water using renewable electricity, we consider it green hydrogen. Um, the other color of hydrogen that you mentioned is gray. This is actually, you know, far and away the most common um, uh, color of hydrogen, if we want to call it that. And it's made from methane, uh, like water, which is which is two hydrogen atoms and one oxygen atom. Methane, CH4, is a rich hydrogen, or it's a, it, it's a molecule that is rich in hydrogen, so it's a good source of hydrogen. All we need to do is separate the four hydrogen atoms from the one carbon atom to get a lot of hydrogen. So uh, we use a process called steam methane reforming, where we apply steam to the methane uh, in the presence of a catalyst, and that separates the hydrogen and the carbon and eventually what we do is we purify the hydrogen and we capture it for use. And the carbon ends up bonding with oxygen in the form of carbon dioxide and is released to the atmosphere, usually. So it's, a, it's the lowest cost source of hydrogen. Uh, it's the most common source of hydrogen production. Um, but because we're extracting the hydrogen from a hydrocarbon molecule, that is methane or natural gas, we release CO2 into the atmosphere. And so there's still um, a carbon, uh, a climate change impact associated with gray hydrogen. Now, if we use that gray hydrogen to displace, let's say diesel in a vehicle, we're still reducing net GHG emissions, um, but not as much as if we were using green hydrogen. The third color that you mentioned is blue hydrogen. And that's where we take gray hydrogen steam methane reforming, 
And instead of letting the carbon dioxide escape to atmosphere, we capture it uh, and we sequester it. Either we store it in some kind of permanent uh, sequestration uh, geological deposit, uh, or otherwise we keep it from entering the atmosphere. And that's what we call blue. So it's a little greener than gray. Um, and, uh, you know, the more of the carbon that you can capture, uh, the better. But it does get more complicated. Uh, pink hydrogen, that's a color that is generally, but not always, used to describe hydrogen from electrolysis using electricity primarily from nuclear reactors, as would be the case if you're taking power from Ontario's uh, grid to run your electrolysis your, your electrolysis process to produce hydrogen. Turquoise is a variation on blue, and that's where you take methane, um, again, natural gas, but instead of steam methane reforming it, you use a process called uh, pyrolysis to separate the hydrogen from the carbon. And the advantage of that process is that the carbon can be made to precipitate out of the reaction as a solid carbon black. And so you don't have to worry about it going into the atmosphere. And the colors go on and on. There's yellow, there's black, brown, uh, all the colors of the rain. In fact, we'll probably run out of colors before we run out of ways to make hydrogen. Thank you. I was actually going to ask you if there's a such thing as pink hydrogen. So, you know, I wanted to know if my favorite color is covered. So thanks for covering that. It's there. <laughs> I mean, this is really cool. Um, as I, I was thinking about it, we're going to have to have a, a color map in our office pretty soon just to make sure we understand what the sources are. But the key, I think, that you've uh, noted is that it can come from so many sources and exhibit across a spectrum in terms of pure green to, as you said, gray and, and all colors in the middle. So it's actually fascinating to hear all the different types and the applicability. When we think about hydrogen specifically in our industry, uh, what are some of the key opportunities and potential uses for it uh, in all the things that we do? Oftentimes we think of hydrogen and fuel cells as a source of uh, portable um, you know, power generation, either for a vehicle or, or for other equipment. But before I get to that, let me start with one that isn't often really thought of much, and that's heat. Um, hydrogen, like natural gas, like propane, uh, can be burned to generate heat. So instead of using propane-fired space heaters and warmers on construction sites and in uh, you know trailers and 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 workspaces, um, you can use hydrogen. You could trailer in the hydrogen in some kind of compressed gaseous form, hook it up to a burner, and let it run. And then uh, just like any other you know like propane, when the the fuel runs down, you replace it. So there's a possibility for just space heating in uh, in a construction context. Um, and then. Power. So we've got heat and power, and then I'll also talk about mobility. Um, portable and temporary power generation uh, is something that hydrogen can facilitate using both uh, hydrogen fuel cells or combustion engines. So again, hydrogen is a combustible fuel, so you can burn it like diesel or gasoline in a combustion engine. That means that if your engine is so equipped, it can burn hydrogen instead of a fossil fuel. So there's that way to generate power. Uh, the other way is instead of having a combustion engine in a portable power generator or a stationary genset, you would have fuel cells. And fuel cells, are they operate um, in the same way electrolysis operates, but in reverse. Instead of splitting water into hydrogen and oxygen, a fuel cell combines the hydrogen that's supplied to it with oxygen that's drawn from the air to form water. 
and there is energy released in that reaction and that energy is captured as electricity um, which can be used to power all kinds of site equipment. Similarly, you could use both hydrogen engines and hydrogen fuel cells to power vehicles, uh, construction equipment, both off-road and on-road. Any, any instance where you are using gasoline or diesel is an opportunity to transition to hydrogen. If we move away from the equipment on site and we look upwards in the supply chain a little bit, um, if we think about cement making, and after cement making, we also make concrete and then we deliver that concrete and ready mix trucks to, uh, to construction sites. Making hydrogen at cement plants is also an interesting opportunity. So cement plants often have a lot of electricity, a lot of water, a lot of heat, the ingredients we need to make hydrogen. And so if we're separating water into hydrogen and oxygen, we can use that hydrogen to help decarbonize the cement making process. It actually allows us to do carbon capture more uh, efficiently uh, and cost effectively, for example. And the hydrogen kind of becomes a byproduct of the oxygen, which benefits the cement plant. And that hydrogen can be distributed to uh, the local community or it could be used, um, it could be delivered to the plants where the cement is destined to go in the form of concrete already. You know, it just kind of trails along. Um, so that's a possibility. Uh, also, steel, major, you know, element, you know, steel and concrete. Those are the two things that are uh, the construction industry is obviously known for. And hydrogen can uh, be used very effectively to decarbonize steel making. So um, in primary steel making, we begin with iron ore, which is uh, a combination of iron atoms and oxygen atoms. And we need to separate the iron from the oxygen in the ore. And we currently do that by, you know, applying coal and heat, but we can just as easily apply uh, hydrogen to bond with the oxygen. And instead of carbon dioxide from the coal and the oxygen reacting together, we get water and water goes up into the atmosphere and it is not a greenhouse gas. So we've helped to decarbonize or mitigate the climate change impact of steel making. And we're left with iron that can then go through the normal steel making process. And then finally, what you're actually building. So uh, sustainable buildings often include prescriptions and, and, and uh, uh, specifications for um, microgrid or, or backup power. And, and that's something that hydrogen technologies, hydrogen fuel cells could be used. If you imagine on the rooftop of a, uh, of a skyscraper or, or a tall condo tower, if you wanted to have a backup power system, you could use electricity that's already being fed uh, to the uh, to the building to run an electrolysis unit to create a constant supply of stored hydrogen. And then that hydrogen, when needed, can be fed back through a fuel cell or a combustion-powered generator to supply backup power when needed. So it's a nice little self-contained um, element that provides a green, you know, low-carbon backup power system to the construction, uh, to, to the product of, of the construction industry's work. So there's a few items that there's, there's, it, the list goes on. Thank you. That's a very comprehensive list. And, and you know, I, I knew about the supply chain side in terms of equipment, but the materials is, is interesting on the cement and steel side. So we might have to call you back for another episode to talk about that in more detail. 
So could you give some just quick examples of equipment that's currently available in the market that is hydrogen powered? Um, I, I saw an excavator that was hydrogen powered at Con Expo, but any other examples? Yeah, so uh, portable power generators are on the market. They're commercially available now um, and more are coming. Uh, they're right now. They're they're fairly small. They're, you know, they they're rarely more than uh, 50 kilowatt uh, um, output potential. But uh, I'm actually working with um, a, a group of uh, with a well, partnership that's bringing a 200 kilowatt portable power generator to market later this year. Um, heating equipment, I believe, is available. Uh, ready mix barrel trucks. This is something that there's a strong value proposition for. I haven't seen it in the market yet. I have seen battery electric powered ready mix trucks though. And so I think that it would make a lot of sense to take what's learned from the electrification of the powertrain in a barrel truck and uh, further improve it uh, by going to hydrogen. So you shrink the battery down, you don't need it as much if you're storing the hydrogen on board for range and power. Um, That's an opportunity there. And as you said, excavators, yeah, dump trucks as well. Um, in the mining sector, for example, we're already uh, witnessing a demonstration of heavy ore hauling uh, vehicles um, uh, using powered exclusively by fuel cells. In fact, the very, very large um, uh, mining trucks that you see that you know that they're they're similar to locomotives in that they uh, the engine on board these mining trucks actually generates electricity and the electricity is used to turn the wheels using electric traction motors that's the same architecture as in freight locomotives and that's something that uh, you might see in 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 heavier uh, heavier uh, construction equipment as well the same principle anyway you know we've been chatting a lot about the benefits the opportunities i just want to make sure we were checking in on any requirements for infrastructure retrogrades. I know that there's been some discussion on pipelines and blending in those sorts of areas or anywhere we have to adjust safety or other types of uh, factors in the mix of hydrogen. So on safety, um, you know, hydrogen is flammable, uh, it's ignitable, and under the right conditions, you can create an explosive risk. Um, you kind of have to work hard to create those types of risks, but they do need to be understood because they're not always familiar to an operation that is um, uh, traditionally only using liquid fuel. So when you have a liquid fuel spill, like a diesel spill or something like that, your, your protocol is to try to contain it and uh, try to keep it from igniting. Um, with hydrogen, it doesn't spill because hydrogen in its molecular form, H2, that's how you would normally be using it. Uh, it's the lightest molecule there is, and it disperses very quickly. Uh, and once it disperses, it's rendered safe. So the way to take a hydrogen leak and make it safe, or to take any hydrogen hazard and make it safe is to vent it to atmosphere. So if you're working outside with hydrogen, normally you're, you already are levering the natural properties of the fuel um, in a safe way. Uh, if you bring hydrogen indoors, where any leak that rises straight up could be uh, blocked by a, an overhead structure, a roof or something where it could mix with oxygen, then you have an explosive hazard. And so um, there are standards that are well uh, established and in use around the world that if hydrogen is going to be used indoors, the building has to comply with certain uh, established standards in order to ensure that hydrogen doesn't gather but is always vented to atmosphere. 
Um, and when you're using equipment outdoors, it also has to be subject to inspection by authorities having jurisdiction. But there is a whole host of established standards uh, that apply and are adapted from other industries where hydrogen has been used for many, many decades. As you said, hydrogen in Canada is, is one of the leading producers of hydrogen in the world. That's mainly in the petrochemical and, petro and chemical sector. But they have to use hydrogen just like the construction site would have to use it. And so a lot of the similar um, uh, safety standards uh, would apply. So uh, hydrogen is not inherently uh, more or less dangerous than any other fuel. Uh, you just need to um, you need to be aware of the risks and you need to be mitigating them. And there's a whole host of knowledge and uh, public standards that that assist in that uh, that regard. In terms of infrastructure, so. Um, you know, it, it may be best to begin moving hydrogen over the road. That's currently how most hydrogen uh, moves. It, it's, it's you know, pressurized into um, uh, tube trailers. So, you know, 50-foot semi-trucks, you know, will haul hydrogen in either uh, gaseous and in some rare instances, it'll, it, it'll be uh, cryogenically liquefied and, and hauled over the road. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to move it over the road until we get to a scale where it makes sense to move hydrogen by dedicated hydrogen pipeline. Up until that point, you can move blends of hydrogen in existing natural gas pipelines, but only up to a certain level. We're not sure beyond a certain blend rate, let's say 15%, for example, we're not sure what happens to the metal beyond that point. And there's a lot of research and study under uh, being done in that because it may be that a lot of the pipeline network currently in the ground to transport natural gas may actually be suitable for transporting um, high concentrations of hydrogen. However, much of it probably will need to be changed and any end use technology, uh, any like furnaces, for example, at the end of a pipeline distribution network, they would definitely need to be retrofitted uh, or replaced with a hydrogen ready piece of equipment. So um, yet there are opportunities to use the existing infrastructure and the existing rights of way to move hydrogen. Um, but moving pure hydrogen in the volumes that we're going to start with, that'll probably take place using over the road trailering of, uh, of hydrogen. Okay, and then in addition to safety and transportation, um, one of the last questions here I have for you is just pricing and incentives. Um, do you see incentives coming up from the government? I know there was already some announcements made in this last fall budget announcement, but you know what sort of incentives are do you see now and, and see coming to help the construction industry adopt hydrogen? Yeah, so I, I foresee the continuation of zero emission vehicle um, uh, credits and uh, uh, incentive systems. So financial incentives, incentive systems that help users, construction companies, for example, uh, to handle the incrementally higher cost of, uh, of a hydrogen powered vehicle, for example, if they want to add it to their fleet. I see that as definitely uh, ongoing. I, I don't think hydrogen will be uniquely incented. I think zero emission vehicles, which broadly encompasses hydrogen and battery plug and rechargeable vehicles, that will probably be the mode in Canada. We'll want to not pick a technology winner, but broadly uh, uh, promote um, all types of zero emission vehicles, including hydrogen powered vehicles. On the production of hydrogen, you know, if you have a demand for enough hydrogen, it might make financial sense to get into the production yourself. 
you don't necessarily need to procure hydrogen um, from a producer. You could produce it yourself if you have enough demand. And in that instance, um, we might be seeing the evolution of policies in Canada, because they already exist in the US and are emerging in Europe, uh, to incent the production of low carbon hydrogen. So again, if we go back to green hydrogen or some form of hydrogen that is low carbon, like blue hydrogen, um, currently in the US under the Inflation Reduction Act, there are provisions to uh, richly incent low carbon hydrogen production. Uh, and that's why a lot of investment is flowing into the US right now uh, around hydrogen production projects. Um, we might be able to um, see something similar to that in Canada. At the moment, I can't point to a specific policy, but we have a federal budget coming down next week, and maybe that will provide further clarity on, on how Canada intends to respond to the, uh, to the disproportionate level of incentives that currently exist in the U.S. relative to Canada. Outstanding, Bob. Listen, uh, it's certainly been a pleasure hearing all the great things you've uh, got to say about hydrogen. I think... It feels to me like there is so much potential here. Um, as you said, it's it's widely available. That it it comes in many forms. You can derive it from many different areas, and yet it feels like one of those ones that has been a bit sleepier to date, just based on all the other higher profile, perhaps more visible alternative and, and green technologies. And so, I think maybe we all, as part of the industry, need to make sure we've got uh, our focus on this to uh, to see how we can advance it as best we can. Well, I think the construction site would, or construction industry would be a great um, uh, driver of innovation and an early adopter of the technology. It, it is it is early, but you're right. We're we're very close. We already have uh, close to twenty thousand fuel cell electric vehicles driving around the roads uh, in North America, mainly in the U.S. and most of that in California. But that demonstrates that the technology is working. I think we have twenty or thirty thousand fuel cell powered forklifts right now. CP is deploying um, uh, fuel cell powered freight locomotives in service in Alberta. So I, I think we're past the point where. The question is whether or not the technology works. That that question has been answered. It's now about how do we make um, the production, distribution, and use of hydrogen economic for the uh, for the early adopters, and and that's a discussion that that's going to require some multi-stakeholder consultation, and I believe some discussion with government as well. But uh, I, I look forward to seeing how the uh, the construction industry will will take a leadership role in that. Okay. Well, I think I'm looking at Prab here, and we're giving each other a thumbs up, saying challenge accepted. <laughs> Very good. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bob. Thank you, Brad. Thank you, Adam. Take care. So it was interesting to hear Bob talk about all of the applications of hydrogen in the construction industry. When I was at Con Expo last week, hydrogen was a major theme. We we saw the first hydrogen engine developed uh, for a piece of construction equipment, specifically for an excavator. Um, so that was neat. It was a prototype, um, but you know, JCB, which is a construction company that that was really focusing on hydrogen, um, showcased that, and and they have a whole line of a construction equipment that is going to be hydrogen powered in the future. So that was neat to see, and and we we want to trial that in the future just to see how it integrates into our operations. But we're also doing our own trials right now. Um, we're going to be looking at the use of hydrogen diesel um, in in some of our generators in Edmonton. Um, just it's it's a retrofit. You you add this sort of pack to existing equipment, which allows you to add hydrogen um, and blend it with diesel in your equipment. 
Yeah, and I mean, worthwhile noting as well, we have been early adopters to the best that we can in this regard. Uh, a couple of years back, we've been able to work with Enbridge and fortunate enough to be one of their partners in establishing a blended hydrogen natural gas distribution system up in the Markham, Ontario area for a new development. And so some exciting opportunities there in terms of how that can blend into traditional infrastructure. And, you know, throw back to one of our earlier episodes, and it continues to come up, which is, you know, the largest source perhaps in the world of construction waste continues to be the production of cement and concrete and those sorts of elements. And so we've heard green concrete, we've heard carbon negative concrete, and this is yet another opportunity to get hydrogen in the mix to say any and all methods we can use to start to reduce the the, um, the output and the carbon uh, footprint from cement and concrete, I think, is a big win. So uh, notch another uh, opportunity for us to, to explore here. We'll definitely have to call Bob back for that, uh, another episode to talk about the use of hydrogen in um, construction materials. For sure. Well, thanks, everyone, uh, for tuning in this episode and look forward to our next one. Stay safe and stay green. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's podcast and don't forget to follow us on social media at Acon Group Inc. for more updates and teasers about upcoming episodes. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google or Spotify podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to our Road to Net Zero podcast. Mm-hmm.